Thank you for joining us for episode 89 of the Motorific Podcast. 89. Slowly approaching 100, two to three weeks at a time. Pretty much. (laughs) Pretty much. Yes, if you're just now joining in, thank you. Um, Find us on... On the interwebs at uh, Mo Terrific, as in a terrific motorcycle podcast, uh, MoTerrific.com, as well as on iTunes, Motorific Podcast. We are the first, perhaps not only, two ladies who decided to take on the wonderful world of motorcycling and podcasting together back in 2013. Yeah, I think it's three years so- now. Yeah, so we're approaching four years. Our pace has showed our age. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, this is uh, something we do for fun, and we do it when we can. So that's why it's a little, can be sporadic. And and then now that I moved so far away, it's even harder to sync up and do this at the same times, you know, on a timely basis because the time change is a pain in the butt. So we're trying. Exactly. Yeah. And it's really hard to sit down and record and dive through some editing for a a bit when you're out enjoying yourself and having fun. Yeah. I mean, there's the whole fun thing. Well, at least one of us, (laughs) at least we've now reached the season where Joanne probably wants to record more and I want to record less just because there's just so much stuff for me to catch up. (laughs) Yes, actually, ADD today... goddess is also domestic goddess, so <laughs> she's got some of those kinds of things that she needs to address as well. But uh, carry on, sorry to interrupt. I said today we were just talking about putting, making space in our entryway because we have basically a one-bedroom flat, and all of our winter coats are taking up all the space on the coat thingy. So we need to find somewhere to put more coats, and it looks like it's going to be the gear closet. So we're probably going to move all of our motorcycle clothing down to the basement until uh you know it's not 30 degrees outside anymore probably for the next two months or something (sighs) got some time well i can tell you about how much fun i had while riding the uh, g310r because i did get to do that for twisted throttle um, review is not up yet, and I will make sure to ping my Instagram at Motorific Media as well as ping our Facebook page at uh, Motorific Podcast and let you guys know where you can read it. Otherwise, uh, quite surprised, um, to be honest. Uh, I think we were discussing before virtually every manufacturer, with exception of Suzuki, and, and I just realized the other day, well, there's Ducati. Triumph. Um, and Triumph, yeah, yeah. Triumph as well, uh, who don't have a 300cc ballpark range, uh, either single or twin, yep. uh, sport bike. Uh, sport bike slash naked, because I think this one, in all honesty, is with its ergonomics and upright seating, it's kind of like a naked bike meets a sport bike. Except it's... the ergos are surprisingly comfortable. I asked the shortest journalist, which was around 5'3", as well as one of the tallest, who um, was Abby from Bike Curious. Mm-hmm. And he's about 6'3". And none of us had back issues or back strain. And to that end, also, um, suspension-wise, 
if the suspension is kind of wonky, sometimes my lower back will get a little bit sore, especially going over potholes. And I can tell you that there's a lot of Mulholland and some of those two-lane roads that are just kind of brutal. But to be perfectly honest, for a, a really broad um, group of people from tall to short and heavy to, to lighter, um, the suspension was really good, actually. Not not too bad. What I mean, BMW? my 650 GS, I don't get any sag when I sat on the 650, the F650 stock. And I had to go out and retool the suspension. On this particular sport bike, I do get a response from sitting on it. So what they told us in the um, discussion the night before and then the next morning before we went riding is that the entire bike was designed by uh, German engineering, basically. Um, the manufacturing was implemented in India. And um, the suspension was uh, Japanese and German designed and Chinese made. And they, hmm. because it's a global release of a product, so yeah. not just a, a product that's going to be available in the U.S., not yeah. just a product that's going to be available in Germany. This is for the global market. And it's also a low displacement. So you can imagine it's going to reach India because it's manufactured there. Um, and the Asian markets, there are a lot of roads that are really crappy. <laughs> I thought I thought Wilshire in certain sections was kind of crappy. I can only tell you how exciting it is to go riding in Asia. And so they tried to make a really broad sweep in terms of the suspension for as many different environments, uh, great paving all the way down to crappy, as well as trying to reach as many um, sizes, kind of like the, the best attempt at one size fits all. And we all know where that usually ends up. And I was... You know, quite surprised that for a stock, really like bare bones um, bike, they didn't lose on performance. So um, that was that was very interesting from my perspective. Um, I did did hit quite a few potholes coming back, and the funny thing was is as we're riding, this guy pulls up on this little uh, knockoff. I don't even know who makes it, and it looked a little bit like a TU two fifty. Like the, the Yamaha SR400, but like a 200cc bike. And I guess it was like, anyway, he pulls up alongside of me. And once we get to a red light, he's like, hey, when is that bike available? I really wanted that bike. I asked my dealer when it's going to become available. And he said, April of 2017. I said, well, they told us summer of 2017. So you might have to wait a little bit. He's like, yeah, I had to buy this thing because... I needed something to commute with, and I have a garage full of motorcycles, but I'd rather just commute with something small going up and over um, the mountains every day. So I think he must work on the west side, but he lives in the valley. So he has all the canyon roads to, to hit. And he was fully uh, fully kitted out in Vanson and had like a showy or in a ride helmet. So Joanne would have loved him and given the full thumbs up. So we basically had a straggler. And every light, we got about three minutes of conversation with the visors up. And it was kind of funny because he's like, oh, hey, yeah, I know Motorcycle.com. And, you know, I'm like, well, Troy's right up there. And then uh, that girl's from Ryder. And then, you know, I was just kind of introducing the people. And so it's funny. He, he came along with us all the way out to Hollywood, which is definitely not his destination. 
um, where we parked and stopped and, and in the long, very, uh, meticulously arranged row of G310Rs that BMW is assembling the Motorrad group from Germany, they see this red, uh, Chinese knockoff bike and they're like, what's going on? Wait, and did I, the knockoff look like a BMW? Is that why you're saying no, it's a knockoff? No, 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 no. no I mean, it, it's just like... No. Wait, was it a CSC bike? Was it the CSC? No, 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 no. no. Oh. When I say knockoff, I just mean it's like a brand I've never heard of. <laughs> like never. Well, CSC is CS... the only no, thing I can think of. No, it wasn't. Wow. It was it was Some something Chinese even knockoff. more far-reaching than that. Oh. So he's parked there and and I'm talking to him and <laughs> one of the one of the guys from Motorrad starts walking up to me like, "Why are you letting this guy sit on this motorcycle?" And I hold my hand up and I've got the keys in my hand, but the guy, I recognized him. I've seen him around. So um nonetheless, it was kind of a cool experience to have someone basically follow us in and then go back and, you know, talk about the bike and kind of have these guys look over my shoulder like, "Uh, what is she doing? Well, she's trying to sell sell some motorcycles for you. So it was uh, it was an interesting experience being in that particular location in Hollywood for the launch. But uh, nonetheless, it was good to see uh, you know lots of people and meet some new ones. I did get to to meet um, Neil Bailey finally. He was at this you, press launch. Oh, you never met Mio. No, Neil and I have been Facebook buddies for a while, and. Uh, and yeah, so I'm. Uh, First time I met him, he was on crutches. <laughs> he was broken. We were yeah. all broken, actually. It was funny. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, and I did get a, a chance to meet some of the um, British journalists. So that was a lot of fun. I got to meet Alan Cathcart, hmm. um, who's like a legend. Basically, Neil was telling me that it's Sir Alan Cathcart, <laughs> and he was a knighted moto journalist. And so I was all excited nice. about this because I believed him. And I think Neil actually believed it, too, until <laughs> I looked it up after the fact, because a lot of people were giving me, like, the slant eye, like, what are you talking about? And I found out that Sir was an affectionate term given by the other journalists, but he's not actually knighted. So here I am running around saying that I know a knighted moto journalist, and... Um, yeah, I had to be schooled by the interwebs telling me, nope, nope, actually, yeah. Actually, he's just been around forever, and he was one of the original moto journalists, and he also has ridden um, most of the MotoGP bikes until they stopped allowing journalists to ride them back in, like, 2008 or 9. So he was one of the last or first journalists to ride lots of uh, MotoGP bikes. So it was uh, really cool meeting some some different journalists from different countries. Um, yeah, I've read, I think, a couple of his things on motorcyclists. Does he write for different play magazines or just motorcyclists? Uh, no, no, Alan Cathcart doesn't even exclusively write for motorcyclists. He's just freelance abroad. Got it. So he just happens to write for them sometimes, apparently. Yeah, and he also happened to ride that same motorcycle, oddly enough, on a very limited press, like exclusive press run Ooh. a couple months back. Ooh. And so his review of that bike is on Motorcyclist. And I was like, wait, what? And then I looked at the date and realized that he got a first run. And they flew him out here to do a complete oh. evaluation. Nice. So, yeah. All very interesting. Um, if you're looking for a 
introductory level motorcycle or if you're looking for something that'll get great mileage that's a lot of fun to scoot around with if you're downsizing um, definitely give the uh, bmw a look i'm imagining i would hope that they would actually have one like they did with the r9t in your dealership in like say the next couple of months and then you're allowed to kind of get a feel for it and then pre-order i would hope that's what they're doing but i do not know how that works specifically it'll um, i'm sure it depends on the dealer and yeah and the manufacturer of course we all know that that is how it worked for the 690 um for ktm when we got to ride that but um i guess another couple of bikes that were reviewed but not by me uh the the triumph bonneville bobber Apparently had some really good feedback from uh, the couple of reviews uh, that I saw. Hmm. So uh, got a lot of excited excited folks for a, a new-ish motorcycle uh, from Triumph. Um, definitely a departure from the Bonneville look that they keep repackaging as a different bike. Um, and also the baby Multistrada, the Ducati Multistrada, is it 990 or 900? I think it's a 950. Sorry. I don't know that we'd call it a baby multi. I want to see a 600 and then we'll call it a baby. <laughs> I don't really think they'll ever come out with a 600, but the, the baby before. of the bigger Multistrada. They had a 650. I mean, they just need to bring it back. They have a, Ducati has a, what, a? The smallest displacement is the 400 Scrambler, and then they have, what, eight 800? I think it's 795. So the big Scrambler is 800, and the smaller one's like half. Wait, that 400, is that here? Is it actually here yet? Can you get yeah, those it yet? Is. Okay. I have seen, God, it's been out for at least a year. I think I've seen the babies. I've not seen one in the street yet. I've um, seen a couple of them in San Francisco, that's for sure. Yes, but then the four, but the four hundred—that's not a true four hundred, is it? I think it's. Uh, you're gonna make me look it up before I start burying myself in a hole. Basically, the Ducati Scrambler sixty-two, which is the four hundred cc, is the detuned version of the eight hundred, their regular size Scrambler. So it's still a twin; it's not a single. They've okay. just yeah. taken some of the piss out of it and um, modified it a little bit. I just haven't seen one on the street yet. But the only difference, though, is that the price tag is uh, just around eight thousand dollars. Where if you were to compare that bike with the other uh, the other competitors in the single and or twin around the three hundred range, you're looking at under five thousand. And actually, surprisingly, yeah. BMWs. Of the 300s, BMW is the cheapest by 250 bucks. The rest of them kind of crest like a dollar or ten dollars below 5,000, and BMW is at like 47.50. So oddly enough, the Beamer is is the cheapest one based on the comparison and the prices that I saw on the interwebs. That's great. And of course, I don't know what the Suzuki is going to be when it comes out in 2018, but. Nonetheless, um, pleasantly surprised. So if you're if you're looking to get into motorcycling, if you're looking to have a little fun on the weekends and mm. don't need, you know, 800 horses, um, then I definitely recommend uh, taking a look at that bike because you can definitely have a lot of fun with it. And I'm guessing it has similar options like the bigger bikes, like maybe a lower seat. 
like low, uh, tall, and standard seat. I would guess that they must. might happen in the future, but right now you're looking at what is it, 30 and a half? Let me see. I think that was the seat height was like 30.4 unladen. Uh, oh, I thought, oh, well. Yeah, so offer... those 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 options might become available, but right now I can tell you it's bare bones with ABS for about forty-seven fifty. So it looks like build your own on their website is coming soon. So they're working Ooh. on it, maybe. Probably because it's not a uh, to me it's just not a BMW if it doesn't give you those uh, seat height options because they have that for pretty much all their other models. You know, standard seat, yeah. low seat, high low suspension um, raised suspension so and they also have the gs too which is coming out as well so a uh, slightly higher seat height on that one just so you can achieve better ground clearance but it's like basically the baby uh the baby parallel twin but the gs isn't available yet to no that one at. hasn't even been press launched right um, that one's available to look at if you go to any number of the international motorcycle shows that are coming mm -hmm. to a state near you but um as far as the press launch for that uh probably uh getting into 2017 i think is when you're going to see it and maybe so first quarter not even on their website but you can look at the 310r and its specs on the website um mm -hmm. so i'm sure they will do the gs soon but that's that's good to know. That's nice that it fits a variety of people. I've always thought BMW was just really great about ergonomics and comfort uh, and just, you know, making everything fit really like neatly and compact and just kind of efficient. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, the first one I ever sat on, I think, was like a 2000. This had to be around 2006. Uh, five when I sat on my first BMW and it was an F650. It was a brand new one and I had no idea that it was a 650 until they told me. Like I really thought it was a 500 or maybe a four uh, at the time I was on my Ninja and I just remember sitting on it and it wasn't absurdly tall. It was a little bit, but um, I just remember it was really, it really impressed me and it really made me think that I could ride it. Like this isn't not as bad as I expected, and I and I think I could give it a go. I just didn't have the money at time to you know bump up. But um, it's nice to know that they're coming out with something else for the yeah. small market. Yeah, and you can you can also rest assured that uh, BMW the same quality and kind of QAQC that you can expect from BMW historically mm -hmm. has been propagated into the uh, the builds in India because when uh, companies uh, typically outsource some of their manufacturing to other countries, everyone kind of gets a little bit nervous, um, especially I think the most recent example would be when uh, Harley-Davidson started to outsource their um, manufacturing in India for the uh, smaller displacement models. Yeah. And the reviews were pretty scathing as far as the shoddiness of the parts and the mm. cheapness the way it looked but i can assure you that uh, everything you've come to expect from bmw as a mark has propagated into this particular motorcycle so you're going to be pleasantly surprised for the price point that you're getting god i think it's been at least two weeks two weeks <laughs> and we're actually two weeks wow we're on schedule we we actually it's shocking shockingly enough we're of course i didn't weeks. get this last podcast out in a timely fashion but <laughs> uh it's a thought that counts. 
Yeah. Uh, we did record two weeks ago, but it took me about a week to get through some editing. Right, I marked it. And then I saw something as, as we're kind of chatting. Mm-hmm. I saw something on someone's Instagram who just followed us. And mm-hmm. I want to say it's the gal that you're going to talk about. And I can't remember her name. So why don't we jump to that while I start searching? Because it was news about two motorcycle models. And I can't find that news publicly available, which means she put up something that she shouldn't have, which means we can discuss it. So we got an email from a woman in North, North, New Hampshire. Yeah, NH, so New Hampshire. Um, And I don't think that the Instagram, her Instagram account is on here. Um, She sent a really nice thank you email about our podcast and uh, just some, you know, different things we talk about and the issues we bring up and and, uh, me being a smaller rider and kind of my experiences with riding small to large bikes. It's probably not information made for public dissemination, but basically the K1300S and the G650GS are in their final production run. So they will be retiring that model. Um, Whether or not it's going to be available in a a European market, Hmm. uh, I'm not sure. But just the portion of this says that the last U.S. builds will occur um, at the end of October. Hmm. So... Basically, and this is a little bit ago, so basically the single cylinder uh, small displacement GS will no longer be made. Uh, well, I imagine the 7 is so popular and the 8 is just so mm-hmm. popular, like no one wants the G650. I guess why would you choose that model over the other ones, you know what I mean? I'd actually say why choose the seven when the 650 so, is a single and the 800 is so close have you ever sat on i would the like seven, to eliminate though? the middleman i basically own the seven it's the 800 it's lower it's yeah low, the lower. the 800 is a little higher but they also right. make you know lower seats i know but for whatever reason the seven resonates with people and it's it's huh. yeah and i can't tell you how many people i had to convince that with that r1200 i rode that you could get it even lower I mean, I was riding it at the standard stock height, and it's like 30 or 29 and a half, which is what I'm used to. But you, I could have, if I wanted to, I could go out and buy the, the lower one, which was like 27. Or, and it was obscenely, it would have been obscenely short for me. Um, and it would have been easy for someone uh, of smaller stature, assuming they had the experience to ride the 1200. So I, I think there's still... BMW is still fighting this perception that they are a tall brand um, and people still have a misconception that you can't customize that. It's just, it's so easy. You get a seat or you, you know, you ask them for the low suspension option. You just have to ask them questions. You just have to go in, talk to the dealer and say, Hey, what do you have for me? And what can you do for me and my stature? Help me out. And I would hope that your local dealer would want your business to where he or she would do everything they possibly could to show you all the options because there are so many options now for every bike out there that's popular, right? All the popular models, Ninjas, BMWs, GSs, you know, Bonnevilles. People aren't asking these questions and there's a lot of misinformation, 
you know, from, well, my buddy, my friend rode, rides one and he's 6'5 and there's no way I can ride that because he's 6'5. There's just so many things that people, I think, take and perceive without asking more questions about. And BMW, unfortunately, I think have that in their way. That's kind of an obstacle for them is telling people, hey, we can help you and, and you're not completely limited, you know, and um, I, I don't know what it is. All I can tell you is that uh, the feedback I've seen from sevens, people are like, wow, and they're just astonished that they can ride it. I go, you could probably ride the 800, but, you know, to be fair, the 800 is considerably taller, like right off the bat. It's, it, I don't know why, but it's just, it's like to me, when I sit on the eight, it's considerably and, and up. And if there's knobby tires on it, oh, now it's even taller. Now it's like 36 inches or whatever, you know? So I, I don't know, but I'm sure the seven must be popular for them. It must be doing really well to where they're like, we don't need this G650 anymore. That's all I can think of. Either way, uh, thank you, BMW, and hope this... 310 really shakes things up in the uh, sub 400 maybe, category. Maybe they're wiping the uh, the G off the market to uh, hopefully bridge the gap with the single 300. Maybe. Or the, yeah. Yeah. The twin, well, it's twin 300, my bad. But uh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, maybe just cleaning it up because, yeah, to have a 650, a 7, an 8, it's a lot, of, a lot of models, right? You know, and there's the F800 GT and there's the... Yeah, I mean, there's just so many, so. Oh, well. Yeah, so, uh, apologies. I, I just wanted to find my way to see that uh, comment. But um, getting back to our awesome message, um, you know, much as Joanne and I like to do this, sometimes we get a little cramped on time, and, well, you know, I don't know, I can't speak for Joanne necessarily, but sometimes I get the blues and I just have no interest in doing anything whatsoever other than um, putting my head down and plowing forward. So at times like that, when we get messages from you guys saying, um, you know, thank you, uh, I'm going back and listening to all of your podcasts or I just came across your podcast and it's awesome and you have something specific you want to be thankful for, um, that, that gives us the warm fuzzies kind of helps us rally to to keep moving forward certainly this was a rally to get this episode done because i could have easily just continued on my new year's cards and gone straight into eating turkey without a thought to record so you know going going back to the g650 for a second i think you're right i don't think <laughs> i don't think they announced that publicly because i don't see no, it anywhere on the internet so you heard it here first friends <laughs> second i guess second looks like the g650's dying and what was the other one they're getting rid of the k1300s k13 i bet the k16 is probably far more popular as well you know what's 300 more cc's i guess at that that rate um so oh well one less option but one more so come on triumph let's see it let's see a little see a baby daytona let's see a little yeah. stripple well they were at some point working, um, and I want to say even with an Indian company on a small displacement motorcycle, and they canned it. Well, they canned the idea for one reason or another. Well, so. I do know they're redeveloping the, like my bike, they're going to do, I think, an 800 instead. Um, 
I can't remember. I remember seeing spy photos somewhere. They're working on an 800, right? More, a little more power. Yada, yada, yada. Um, oh, well, yeah, I mean, it's okay. I guess everybody doesn't have to have a 300, but choices are always nice. Um, complete uh, change in subject. I wanted to just quickly mention these gloves that I received from Racer, one of my favorite, favorite brands. I've had their gloves for about, I don't know, nine years, eight years. I bought a pair as soon as I could afford some um, a long time ago, and I have three pairs of their gloves, but now I have four. Basically, they came out with a new version of their women's race gloves. So for uh, women who actually are competing, uh, com really competing either in amateur motorcycle racing or at the pro level, well, hopefully at the pro level you're sponsored and you're probably wearing small men's gloves. But for those of us who are on the street and maybe doing occasional track days and you want race level protection for your very small hands, because we all know a woman who wears an extra small women's glove can never wear a men's small glove. It's just not the same. So look for a video, a little short video overview of these gloves on my blog. I'm going to hopefully post that tomorrow. And if you go to Racer Gloves website, it's racergloveususa.com. And it's the ladies high racer glove. And they're now available from extra small, I believe, to extra large. And the extra small and small are new sizes because previously when that glove launched, I think two years ago, he only released medium to extra large. And the Europeans falsely thought that those were the most popular sizes. I mean, they are a tight fitting glove. So I'd say a medium probably fits closer to a small in other brands, but there are so many women I think who do have very small hands, extra small, small, and it's a pretty common, common size. So look for my, um, on my blog, I will post a little overview of them since I'm obviously not writing in them and will not be writing in them anytime soon. Oh, well actually maybe January, I'm gonna go home for a week. So praying, I saw that praying the weather part, uh, cooperates for one. I just need it for one week. I just need the weather to be good for like two days. So if I'm lucky, I will be riding um, the, the last week of January. I'll be in the barrier. So I'll be bike hunting. Need a bike. Got something I can ride for a day. That'd be awesome. Um, so I did get that little piece uh, recently. I also have something that's not motorcycle related, but I wanted to mention it. What? 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 Not motorcycle related? <laughs> not motorcycle related, but kind of because I know that this is an issue for a lot of women. And I think that many of you can really relate to this issue. I wanted to share a pair of pants <laughs> and they're really, I just posted on my Facebook page on facebook.com slash and. Duluth Trading Company, if you're not familiar, they're a Midwestern company and they have some stores. They're an online business, but they opened some stores and there's one in uh, nearby about 40 minutes from Philadelphia. And they have, I think, the best women's pants I've ever worn, ever. They offer really, they look really great and they have the biggest pockets. They have lots of pockets. <laughs> in fact, instead of fake pockets, they have real ones. So for example, say you're out, Miss Geologist, you're out in the field and you got some work to do and you need some pockets because you got to put oh your God. phone 
Now, here's the best part. This one pant that I bought from them, I actually went today and bought another pair because I love them. I'm terrified. So I much. I that I want to see this. No, I actually think you're going to like them. They are, I'll send you a, uh, a quick link to them. Here we go. It's the Too Duluth... much pockets is going to offset my ass. No, 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 no. Not there. <laughs> no, not up there. The pockets. No, 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 no. I'm saying it's, <laughs> you know, it, it, like the well-balanced female is to have boobs that are much like the equivalent of your butt. But if you start introducing pockets in the front, <laughs> you're just going to confuse the silhouette. Um, Maybe. But at this point, I don't care. I want somewhere to put my stuff. So... <laughs> What's really cool about these pants... Well, I've got a trunk, so I don't need well, to worry about a place to put my junk. Well, um, you might you might actually like where to put your phone for these pants. There's a really cool pocket right behind your thigh. So you can, like a phone size. It's actually perfect to put your phone in. So then, when we go to do our business and we sit down, there's nothing falling out of your pocket into a bowl. But it's just mm -hmm. the fact that they have useful pockets and they're not pretty and they're not cute. You know, they're not the size of a chapstick. They're actually the same size as their men's pants. So it has two big yeah, cargo it's, pants. It's not, it's not bad hiking pants. No, like they're a good, they're, I mean, they're, I think they're ideal it's female customer. Rise. It's a little higher. It's like um, higher oh, in the yeah. back. Yeah, because you're not just walking around and looking cute. You're, you know, chopping wood. You're mm -hmm. out in the... Uh, no one on wants the... to show crack when they're chopping wood right. then, I guess is what you're saying. You're out in the farm. Maybe you're <laughs> you're working and it's their work pants. They're actually for women who work in the field and do stuff and not just sit behind a desk all day. So that's why they have a higher rise in the back. So when you're bending down and you're doing things, that's why there's so many pockets. So they're actually useful. That's why they're actually a stretchy uh, material that's not um just the thinnest cotton ever they're actually really durable and so they're a pant that will last you and i've been wearing them here when it's 20. it's 20 degrees outside and i wear my sweater leggings underneath um or i wear the awesome uh polar tech leggings i bought underneath these and they're <laughs> great eight total pockets including a hidden zip pocket <laughs> yes. and an eight inch pokey things pocket for stowing sharp tools that's right so the i mean the pant these aren't you know these aren't runway this pants is funny they call it duluth flex fire hose pants yep, because the material is this really nice heavyweight wait where i have it oh here look this is my second pair wow it's like a call it a heavy chino like really heavy du durable mm -hmm. so they're not going to wear out as quickly as just like a cheap old navy pant or they're for working, so working women. So that's why they're a little bit heavier and they have all these pockets. Um, because what are your choices? You know, if you are someone who works outdoors, say, your choices are cute skinny jeans from H&M or cute skinny jeans that don't have pockets to hold your tools or are durable. So when you need to go out every day and you're lifting things or out there walking around, it's just, a really useful pant but they actually look really nice they're really slim fit i really like these but they do have like a big boot cut a looser fit pant if you want mm -hmm. you don't want slim but for those of you who actually do want a really slim leg and they're really slim like my calves are kind of tight in hmm. them. well i look forward to the text message photo <laughs> that i'm gonna I get will. later 
I am. I will send you a photo. They actually, I like I said, I really like them, and and I know there's a lot of women who ride out there who really want great pants just to wear off the bike. So say you commute or you have over pants, and you, you know, you value the quality and a really nice casual pant. I think you'll like them. So check it out. They also have a few other pants. Like they have light summer ones. So maybe in the spring and summertime, they have like a super thin moisture wicking one when it's like 80 degrees out. So they actually have a lot of really nice options for Interesting. the working woman. Yep. So that was, that's, that's my gear purchases these days. Yeah. Well, I sit on a giant ball and I rarely do field work, so I don't <laughs> even need um, working hey. pants anymore. It's lucky. Nice. The last time I went out was just a couple weeks ago after Thanksgiving. Mm. And I can tell you that what I was really thinking of getting and or missing, not bringing up with me was my my big Carhartt one zip, like mm. little onesie because I was freezing. Mm. They also have some actually really cool warm jackets like that, too. Just like yeah. super hardcore winter. I'd, yeah. So yeah. so moving from slightly <laughs> warmer sunshine to cold, um, we, we never did. We, we never really fully went into this conversation about this gal. Like we've hit this email like two or three times. And Which we one? Keep sidetracking away from from the gal who was thanking us for the podcast. We kind of tapped it and kind of went back. But uh, oh, that was um, the gal who with the Instagram about the G650. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I went there just for the purpose of locating that uh, that file. But um, she uh, grew up riding dirt bikes in Texas, took up riding motorcycles again yeah. last year at age 45. And um, she she is not gifted of inseam like I am. She's closer to Joanne's uh, inseam. Yeah, 28, 28 whopping inches. What are you? At 28 and a half, yeah. 28. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, she basically followed much of Joanne's advice. Uh, started out on a motorcycle that she would actually want to ride, and she rode the G650GS. So that was her first bike. And, um, you know, she she, uh, she, she bought, enjoyed the motorcycle. Yes, and she bought she actually bought a TU250 after. Mm-hmm. Make sure I'm getting I think really now. what we should say is how awesome she was at dropping us some compliments because yeah how often do you hear um it is an absolute pleasure to find intelligent reasonable passionate and good-humored women talking about motorcycles the vast majority of media and engagement of women in motorcycle <laughs> media frankly makes me feel icky supporting it enabling continued messaging with my dollars <laughs> so that just makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside yeah I mean, try to bring a message that's different from what you might hear or see, you know, in your feeds. So, Not even intentionally. It's just, this no. is, it is what it is. Yeah. We're, not, we're not paid advertisers for any particular product. Although we might review some more than others just because of access. Um, because we have friends that like our perspective and... Yeah, or preference. You know, just... Even though neither of us really have the um, ridiculous visibility of most people, um, people still trust our opinion and you know, don't mind when we give them a little love across the podcast or across a press launch front because that encroaches in media. Um, when I travel with your product, that also appears on you know, whatever uh, 
whatever magazine or online media I very slowly get my information to. Um, mm -hmm. I can also tell you that uh, once we get off the line here, um, I have relicensed for uh, distribution one of the articles on Motorific that's going to be in um, some magazines at dealerships in the Midwest and the South. So hopefully that will give us uh, some brand new audience, um, brand new audiences to connect with that we wouldn't normally reach. So I'm pretty excited about that. All right. See what happens there. You have to uh, remind us when that happens. Yeah. So people can go out to their dealership and see something that sometimes is mostly on the interwebs, but, you know, free in their hand. And actually, I'm going to ask for a couple of these. I think the licensing first starts in Louisiana. Um, and then after that, we'll see if the other um, publications decide to move forward. I don't see why they won't, but, um, you know, I'll keep you posted. Yeah. Please do. I don't have anything publicating, but I am going to, I actually might have some some stuff coming up on Common Trend, so I'll I'll post that when that actually publishes. I have a couple articles. If you've never visited Revzola's community uh, site, Common Tread, it's just right there on the upper right hand side when you visit Revzola.com. And I've got I absolutely hope you there. have because I've written two articles for Common Tread. <laughs> right, I, I hope you have too because yeah, we both have a few up there. Actually, I think at this point I have three. I don't have that many, but um, I'm hoping that I'll have one coming soon that I'm working on. Um, yeah, in the meantime, you can always read some of our past content on Motorific. I have a article list on my blog as well, on my about yeah. page. So we also have stuff. Uh, articles about uh, both that we've written individually and then articles about the podcast. And if you mm -hmm. go to our fancy dancy website, which if you haven't been in a while, you should check it out because this is what I pay the big bucks for to like host on Squarespace and have these really kick-ass uh, visuals for our show notes. Um, we have an about us section. It just kind of gives a little background so you can tell when you actually check out the photos, which one of us is which. Someone actually thought I was the short one and Joanne was the tall one. So if you want to put a face to the voice, <laughs> you might want to check out our website. Um, as well as a contact page where you can uh, send us an email and a media press archive. And that page has, well, sometimes Joanne needs to, I think Joanne might need to update. Um, I think I do. Yeah, you're, uh, I, the last time I updated for you was the Women Riders Now column. Okay. So outside of Gearchick, um, you will find a list of all the places Joanne has written for. She will add, um, common tread and then uh, you also have all of the stuff that I've written and put into the uh, the blogosphere um, as far as press launches and bike reviews and articles and then there's a couple little tidbits about the podcast um, and that's you know at the moment pretty much it flat trackers I guess the only other news I can think of is the Super Prestigio took place. Mm. Um, Super Prestigio is the 
crazy, ridiculous off-season flat track championship that usually happens in Spain. Uh, the final was in Barcelona, and I can definitely say that I would be down for flat track in Barcelona because Spain is honestly one of my favorite countries on the planet, if not for the people and the fact that I'm I wouldn't really say bilingual, but lingual enough. <laughs> the fact that I love their food is a whole other animal, and I have yet to ride their roads. That's a that's a bucket list for me. Um, Super Prestigio this year. Hopefully, uh, this will be a spoiler if you haven't seen the the results. But uh, Mark Marquez, um, all the off-season GP guys that have any interest in doing flat track and going back to their roots usually jump on the bandwagon for the Prestigio and. Uh, and our grand national champ, Brad Baker from the US competed against Mark Marquez. And unfortunately he made an error in tire choice and mm. Mark pulled ahead of him. So Mark actually dethroned our American flat track champ. Interesting. Oh, there's a, uh, sorry, we forgot to talk about this uh, outside article that you wanted to chat about. Ah, yes, this is very we'll close, true. How with easily that. I become distracted. <laughs> um, close with that. Outside Magazine for December 2016 posted, um, well, actually not posted, in their magazine. So it might become available a little bit later if you if you don't get outside or you're not interested in investing the six bucks for that magazine at the newsstand, um, published an article about GPS. And it was an actual, a funny anecdote tied into some uh, scientific research where this guy from Jersey decides that he wants to go to Iceland. <laughs> and rents a car and plugs in the address of his hotel that he received off of, you know, whatever website, Kayak, uh, Expedia. Okay. And it turns out that the GPS, which was supposed to just be about a, a, an hour away from where he landed, uh, GPS uh, routed him three hours and several what? hundred miles away from his destination to a point where he's like wow. at the end of the world and there's a blue house and he gets out of his car and takes a copy of the what? hotel thing and is asking trying to ask this woman who speaks english uh hey um where is Whoa. this and where am i i'm amazed he went that far in one tank of gas or i'm, I'm assuming he probably just you know, pulled aside and filled up and didn't what? ask but he trusted his gps nonetheless wow. and what happened was um the hotel uh printout had added an extra r and apparently <gasps> that is super toxic for directions in Iceland because apparently one R gets you 450 miles somewhere in another direction. So after, uh, after this guy Ooh. spent a night in a strange town before planning to head back, she had posted it on her social media because she thought it was hilarious. And suddenly Aww. this guy's an overnight sensation in town. <laughs> so this guy who was kind of, you know, looking to pick up his spirits because he had a nasty breakup and a rough week ended up getting completely lost in Iceland and becoming an overnight sensation about being lost. Actually, I think he's from Jersey, uh, close to you. Wow. And um, so basically all across the country, these people saw pictures. People would want to take selfies with him, <gasps> posted it up. Hey, this is the guy from Jersey that got 400 miles, you know, derailed in another direction. So long story Poor short, guy. the... the and, and it goes on to share another couple of experiences that he had in Iceland. I don't want to kill the story for you. But, you know, basically it kind of talks a little bit about how I feel about GPS and too much technology in general, which is, 
For example, you trust, you put a lot of trust into something that can fail you. Yeah. Um, ask me how I know this, because if you recall me talking about my experiences in Rajasthan, I put my weight in GPS as opposed to a map because everyone told me, ah, don't worry about the maps. You know, you'll, you'll have your internet connection and it's easily marked and everything's totally fine. Don't worry about obsessing over looking for a map because I could not find a very, um, let's see, large scale roadmap for that part of the country. Um, just, you know, the, the one inch equals like 20,000 feet scale. So, while I was in Rajasthan, the satellite positioning was having such a hard time pinpointing me, and sometimes it would put me somewhere else that I would also wander way the hell out of my way. And unfortunately, in parts of Rajasthan, you will not see translation from Hindi to English characters on road signs. If there's a freeway, you might just see the sign in Hindi which begs also to consider that when you buy a map, when you're traveling abroad, you might not want to settle for the map that was meant for foreigners that has all the words on it of their cities in English characters. Hmm. You might want to either get two maps, one that is solely in the foreign language, the native language of the place you're at, and one in English, or one that shows both. Because if you end up reaching the end of the world that doesn't see a lot of tourists, the translation might not happen. So uh, long story short, I got lost a bunch of times, which is why I thought the um, comment about getting lost is a thing of the past, because well, it's not if you travel with me. Um, and, and, and quite honestly, like getting lost is kind of half the fun. I mean, I, the whole reason I travel is to come and, and the whole reason I travel and the whole reason I travel somewhere just completely obscure out of the way five star no um, beachfront no um, fully escorted no like I want to completely challenge myself uh, linguistically um, intellectually um, as far geographically to experience something completely different than what I get in the US. And the article kind of backs up that if you rely on technology too much, you end up losing literally your sense of place and trying to um, directionally locate yourself. And yeah. I've kind of always felt that. I mean, I can honestly tell you that once cell phones, uh, once you came out with cell phones and we started to pre-program contacts, mm. I used to have memorized everyone's cell phone number. Yeah, me too. And then now that we have pre-programmed contacts, I don't memorize anyone's cell phone number. Nope. What would happen if my cell phone completely went yep. sideways? I would yep. have something saved on my hard drive, but I wouldn't have anything access to it unless yep. I had to dig up a business card. And believe me... <laughs> that that is not the easiest thing to do so um that said i just really liked the article it was cool it it wasn't about motorcycling but it was essentially about something that kind of touches base with the motorcycling community which is the way that and wow we're we're traveling because if you've ever traveled like my my idea of a good motorcycle ride on the weekend is riding with my friend grant who knows all of the best roads in, in his general area, and he's about 40 minutes from me. And I have no idea where I'm going. 
and I've probably done the route like five or six times. And I can tell you, maybe I've looked at some of the signs. So I have a general sense of place, but because all I do is follow, I couldn't tell you where I'm going. On the other hand, um, I know his house, not by his address. And there are like maybe five or six people that I've been friends with for, for many years where I know exactly where they live, but I can't tell you where they live. I just have to go. Right. And it's right. visual cues. So for him, I, you know, I know it's like maybe this road and then I think right. it's the second light and then, you know, turn on the first and then I end up being there. But if you asked me to address a card to him right now, I couldn't tell you that. And I think, no, that I think the that's difference most between people, following someone versus having to find it yourself is huge. I couldn't find something if I was following someone because I'm not really thinking for myself. I'm playing follow the leader. And that's essentially what GPS is. Yeah, I totally agree with everything that you said. I think that's totally true. And for me, one thing that I have that I always struggle with is what I call GPS anxiety. So if I am using the GPS, I'm always double, I'm not totally trusting it. Like I trust it kind of, but then I'm always in the back of my mind, like wondering, is it really going the way that I want it to go? Or is it taking me somewhere different? And it's gotten better, especially with this app that I use with InRoute. It's actually been far more reliable than I thought it would be. So that's good. But it's always in my mind, like, am I going the right way? I can always kind of, I don't know, like instinctually, I feel like our instincts kick in like, this is wrong. This is just not right. You need to pull over and check things. Like I can, I can always tell when my brain nags me, you know what I mean? Like to nag me, the like pull over. You have to check, this is not right. You're not going the right way or it just doesn't feel right. And every, and as long as I listen to that, I tend to be able to get myself back-ish the way I want to go. Um, unless I just, you know, unless it is a case where I don't care where I'm going, then yeah, then I just kind of let loose and, you know, ride wherever. But when I am trying to follow a route, I just find that trusting my gut, because that, I mean, generally trusting your gut keeps you out of trouble, you know. But um, I did find, what I also found interesting in this article is where he references some studies, and he talks about some studies about how our brain navigates us, and like, I guess some tests they did with mice in a lab to see like how, um, how our brains help us self-navigate and how that works. And I think it makes, mm -hmm. I think it makes a lot of sense with, you know, what you said about landmark. And I, I think that's, I met a lot of people like memory. That. Yeah. You just remember like, there's a tree, there's this red house, there's a Duncan or whatever. There's this gas station. And I find when I give directions, people comprehend it better. We go right at the gas station. There'll be a schoolhouse on the left or whatever, or there's a, you know, a big church, make a right. And people can remember that better than like Main Street, turn right and then left on, you know, Johnson Street. It's like, I think landmarks help people a lot. Yeah. Cool stuff. Poor guy. <laughs> it's like bad enough. He's lost. And then he's being he like. becomes an overnight <laughs> sensation in Iceland. I saw the part where he's like, all of a sudden, even the strippers upstairs were pulling me upstairs to take pictures uh, so funny yeah when the strippers want to pose with you it's <laughs> interesting 
but sure. nevertheless, very, very interesting article, at least the parts that I, I kind of breeze through. But um, I mean, I'm still a fan of GPS. I just don't try not to rely on it exclusively, but it certainly, I think, helps out. But I think it's good always to use yourself and your GPS together. So you're not 100% maybe on GPS and not maybe 100% yourself. And I think the best marriage of GPS where it's 70% you and 30% GPS, you know, you're mm -hmm. using it as a guide and then you, it's up to you to listen to your instincts, to double check names, double check spelling of where you're going. I've, you know, I've made that mistake before. Double check, is it a lane or is it a road? You know, maybe it's a highway number versus a route number. I don't know. But as long as we do our job as humans to check things, then the technology usually comes through. But, you know, we still have to operate it and there's always the chance we're going to mess up. But um, I'm still a fan. I know some people are still a fan of the traditional methods, but hey, do what works for you, you know? Yeah. Do what works. Yeah, but definitely... Um... Definitely consider the fact that uh, being too reliant, like I think the, the base yes. argument was yep. when you know something is just not right, yeah. when the trip was one hour and it has now become three hours. Like at two, I would have been like, mm -mm, this is not right. Mm -mm. Yeah. Let me check. There is something wrong with uh, something here. Right. Let's... Not four hours later. How about an hour and a half? Maybe. Yeah, trust your instincts. Don't always trust Siri. And, you know, funny enough, I guess Siri is an Icelandic name. So every time <laughs> I stop somewhere, they said their name was Siri. And it was just like some kind of, seriously, really? Like, That's funny. That is funny. And you're right. It was a guy from New Jersey. And, and all these chicks named Siri. 